that this morning the anointing and the anointed one resides inside of us because we have been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and reconciled back to our God. Father, this morning as we come to the close of this conference, it is only the beginning of your purposes. Lord, I pray that every woman who is here this morning will walk away with a new confidence, a new revelation, a new understanding, a fresh anointing to fulfill the destiny and the purpose of God in their life that the world may know and the nations may know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, we thank you for that this morning. Come Holy Spirit with the anointing of God upon the person of Jesus Christ and walk in the very temples of our heart this morning. Unlock the book again for us and grant to us understanding past our own intellect, past our own understandings, past our traditions, past our denominations, past our hurts, past God the things that you are working in us and out of us. Lord, come past all of that and anoint us this morning with an ear to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. We thank you for it this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we looked out our window about one o'clock and people were being carried home, rolled home. Uh, we looked at one sister on the concrete and they were just rolling her along. And uh, um, So I was standing there in my nightgown and I, I thought I could see out but no one could see in and I was standing there in my nightgown and everybody started waving at me. So I just waved back at them. And um, <clears throat> we're grateful for what God has done, what God is doing, and what God's going to do. Amen? If you would walk with me just for these few moments that we have together, I want us to understand that when the anointing comes, other people can get by with some things that God will never let you get by with. Turn around and say, you just thought you could pull it off. See? <laughs> And there are certain things that God won't let us get by with. And um, as we looked this morning, the Philistines built that cart and they brought it in and God allowed them to do it. A hundred years down from the history of when that happened and 20 years at the end of that hundred years when Israel began to cry out for the presence of the Lord. God has taken a man because of the anointings that were placed on his life through process. Can I tell you that I don't like some of the things God likes? And what's frustrating is he doesn't care what I don't like. I would have never taken people through process I like immediate results. I don't like certain words in the Bible. If I wrote it, I would have never recorded certain words called discipline. I hate that dirty D word. 
I don't like discipline. I don't like fire. Everybody's saying, send the fire. Not me. I know what it does. And I just send it your way. You want the fire? Praise God. There are certain words like long-suffering, patience. Don't you know God's wise that he didn't leave you responsible for recording his word? Long-suffering, patience. I don't like some church members. Y'all look so innocent. Come on. You lie, you fry. Come on. You, you know good and well there are some church members that you pray them to the foreign mission field so that they can just vent out all their glory there. And God puts us through process. No one ever told me that when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it began in God's time process. Had we known the baptism was processed, most of us would have never received it. We thought it was a shandala, a hoopala, and God let a shanda and hoopa and then roped us. How many of you understand? The minute you were hooping up, he grabbed you and lassoed you and said, if I can only conquer you, you'll be real great in the kingdom of God. So as we look at it, nobody understood what the baptism was. We thought it was laying hands on people and going out under the power and those are manifestations of the anointing. But then God's higher calling than manifestations of the anointing was that our life would be anointed. And so process began in David. God had, it, had him working through the processes of the first anointing and the second anointing. And it was in that third anointing that David moved up to Zion. And when he went into Zion, because he was in the process, the thing that was priority in his heart was the presence of God. Because he knew that people could not fulfill the will of God and the purpose of God no matter how much they longed for it, no matter how much they desired it without his presence. And so David went after the presence of God. Now I want you to walk with me just a moment because I want us to look at this man wanting the right thing but doing it the wrong way. Turn around to someone and say, I've lived with you long enough to know you need to hear this. See, so I, I, I want us to see that David desired the right thing, but he went after it the wrong way. And smile real big at everybody and say, this is for you, honey. So as we look at it, I remember one day when I said, God, use me, use me, God, whatever you want me to do. And so about four o'clock in the morning, the telephone rang. You, you know that you're on the way to being anointed when you get annoyed. <laughs> and about four o'clock in the morning came and I picked up the phone and I said, hello. And they said, you've got to get down to the church right now. There's a demon-possessed lady down here. She's torn the whole office up. She has ripped her clothes off. Three men are holding her down. We don't know what to do with her. Get down here. And I said, I'm on my way. And I, I hung that phone up. 
And I, I begin to put on the full armor of God. I put my breastplate. I get my helmet. I drum. I dare you, devil. I'm coming after you. And, and you know, and I shock a box all the way to church, which was about 20 minutes. And by the time I got there, I was pooped out. <laughs> I mean, I had, I, I just, you know, by the time I got there, I was dragging in. I'm more than a conqueror. Four o'clock in the morning. And I walked in the room to behold this most incredible sight. A little girl that couldn't have weighed more than a hundred pounds soaking wet. I wanted to rebuke her in tongues. <laughs> little hundred pound thin girl picking six foot three men up and body slamming them up against the wall. It's amazing. When you're in control, you feel anointed. When things look out of control, all of a sudden you say, I don't want that kind of body ministry. <laughs> the brother said, do something. I said, you're, you're doing fine. Just, I, I'm here to support y'all. Hallelujah. She picked him up and threw him around a couple of times, broke a couple of chairs, uh, turned over a bookcase, and I, I was standing there, my little Baptist eyes were about this big, and, and you know, just look, you know, I didn't know what to do, and, and, and they said, do something, and so I, I, I just said, I feel led to pray. <laughs> See, the anointing will make you know that you are no match for the devil. But he is any kind of match. But if you go, all of a sudden you realize, this isn't in my field. <laughs> and so I went over to the corner and I began to pray. And all of a sudden I'm standing there and God said, I want you to walk over, look her in the face, and say to her, behold the lamb. I said, I'll tell the brethren to do that right away. See, we ladies want to be liberated on our turf. God said, no, I told you go over there, look her in the face and tell her, behold the lamb. Now, I wished I could tell you that the anointing rose up inside of me, the anointed one rose over there, and I went and looked her eyeball to eyeball and said, behold the lamb. But I went over there and I said, behold the lamb. <laughs> That's just about how I said it. Now hold the light. She let out a blood-curdling scream, and I thought, oh, God, she's got to get me and pick me up. And she let this blood-curdling scream and went flat on the floor, just went bam on the floor. And one of the brethren looked and said, my God, you have killed her. She is not breathing. Now, I believe the hour is coming when God is going to put such an anointing and the anointed one inside of us by revelation that we literally are going to stand in the enemy's territory where people have been shackled and in bondage for years and all we have to do is open our mouth and declare what Jesus declared in the garden when he said, 
I am he. And when he said it, down they went. And he just stepped right over them and fulfilled the purposes of God. So as we look at it, David went after the ark and he decided he'd do it the Philistines' way. I mean, they got that thing moving with four big wheels and the boards and, and all of that and pulled that thing in. And, and when he put it on there, God wouldn't let it go. He got to the threshing floor. See, you can do the right thing the wrong way until you get on the threshing floor. And when the anointing takes you to the threshing floor, which, by the way, nobody ever prays to get there, God just makes sure you take a detour. How many of you know, nobody got up and prayed, Oh God, take me to the threshing floor. I can't want to go there so everybody can see I did it wrong. And God will make sure you get to the threshing floor. And David got to the threshing floor because he was anointed. Can I say this to you this morning? If you're under the dealings of God, it's because he wants to make known to you the revealing of God. Every time you are dealt with by God, there ought to be a revealing of your God. And each step David took, even though he was taking it in the wrong way, because God had anointed him, each step was bringing him into a fuller revelation of who this God was going to be in all his power and all his glory and splendor. So if you've been under the dealings of God, I want to tell you, there is right in your grasp the revealing of God so you can fulfill the purpose of God. That's part of the anointing. See, turn around to someone and say, I've been so shook up and dealt with by God, I must be in good hands. See, <laughs> and as we look at it this morning, David takes it, the wheel rolls off, and when the wheel rolled off and the oxen stumbled, David decided, I'm going to seek the Lord. See, when, when everything starts moving around us and our oxen begins to stumble because your oxen is doing it in your own flesh, Come on, your own strength, come on. i got to get this thing done, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for God, I'm going to do it for his kingdom. When that thing starts shaking, because God will make sure your flesh poops out. And that thing starts rolling and it all falls down. It's time to seek the Lord. And David started seeking the Lord. And when he sought the Lord, God spoke to him and said, because of the anointing that's on your life, you can't do what others do. Because you're destined to be a king, you can't behave like that. Because you are, are anointed of God and the Holy Spirit has come to you and baptismoed you and emerged you into the very personality and the very character and the very nature of Jesus Christ himself, you've got to understand that from the moment that you got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the anointing one began to work his anointing in you so that you would do it God's way. And David began to desire God's way. See, it doesn't take many dealings of God to realize you're going to do it his way or you're going to do it his way. <laughs> how many of you understand what I'm saying? How many of you know he only has one way? Come on. And, and, and it doesn't take you long to realize you either keep being dealt with by God or you yield to God. And, and have you noticed, God is long-suffering. I, I, I mean, he can endure forever. Come on. 
walk with me a minute. Because David realizes that he's got to seek God. They take the ark and they put it over in the house of Obadiah. And when it is put over in Obadiah's house, everything that Obadiah touches prospers. Do you understand that this anointing ought to affect where you live? Come on. It ought to affect your children. Come on. It ought to affect your husband. It ought to affect your next door neighbor. It ought to affect your business. It ought to affect your lifestyle. Come on. It ought to affect, and everything in Obadiah's house prospered because where the presence of God is, which was the anointing of God, it can't help but produce life. And Obadiah held the ark and David sought the presence of God and God spoke to him and said, this anointing is to rest upon your shoulder. You're to go down there and get some priests and sanctify them and separate them and they're going to put the ark of the covenant upon their shoulder and they're going to blast the trump and there are going to be some musicians and there's going to be some singers and you're going to have to go past your tradition. I want to say to you this morning, God is about to deliver his church from tradition. And you see, I want to tell you that it's not just the traditions of the Baptists and the Catholics and the Methodists and the Presbyterian, but God's about to make his entrance into the charismatic Pentecostal traditions that have limited us because you know when you are bound by tradition, when it becomes motion without devotion, then it becomes a tradition. See, the anointing makes this thing a heart affair. Come on. See, it, it really becomes a heart affair. So David has to go past his tradition. See, this morning we ought to love David. First of all, David was very bold in saying, bring the women in. See, up till then the women couldn't come in. Only the men got to come in. Turn around and say to somebody, I love David. See, because David liberated women. Then turn around and say, we love Jim Jackson. Because he said the women could come in. Let's tell him again, we love Jim Jackson. And David said, let the women come in. Then you know what he said? He was from the tribe of, of, of Judah. And the tribe of Judah always raised up kings. So David, traditionally and legally, because of his bloodline, was able to be a king but not a priest because the priest came from the tribe of Levi. And David was not a, Le a, a Leviticus uh, from the Leviticus tribe, and so therefore he had no right to be a priest, but he had to become a priest in function if he was going to have the unction of the Spirit and the anointing of God to bring the presence in. See, you can't bring God's presence in by just being born again. 
You can't bring it in by just being a king who rules and reigns. You can't bring it in by just being a believer who fulfills the book of Acts that says lay hands on the sick and cast out devils. Those are manifestations of God's grace and God's benefits and God's love towards us. But to bring his presence in, you've got to sanctify yourself, separate yourself, let him anoint you again, walk over your traditions and begin to have the whole priority of everything that he's done in our life is to bring back the presence of God to a generation who desperately needs it. Without God's presence, our nation is not going to make it. David put on his linen ephod. Can I say that the anointing will help you strip yourself because nobody will dethrone you. Not even God. God may take you out, but he won't dethrone you. Come on. God said you've got to dethrone yourself. You've got to strip yourself. You've got to humble yourself. Nobody can do it for you. See, most of us don't choose to be humbled. We end up not dealing with things that humiliate us. Come on, but they don't humble us. Come on. I'm humiliated by this. I'm embarrassed by it. God said, I never meant for anything in your life to humiliate you or embarrass you. I only meant for you to be humbled under the mighty hand of the Lord. And so David humbles himself. He stripped himself. He literally took his kingly garment off. See, the anointing will suddenly make you no longer desire prestigiousness and position and recognition. The glorious thing is, I hope, God, you will finish what you have begun in me so they can recognize you, the King of glory, you, the hope of all the world, you, God. So David strips himself. See, part of the anointing is to give you the grace, the revelation, the strength, the desire, the hope that whatever is stripped in God's presence, he clothes it with himself. Come on. Now, David stripped himself and put on a linen ephod, and not everyone was happy about his new anointing. Can I say to you, when you go home this weekend, ain't everybody going to be happy about what happened to you? Okay, come on. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to be offended. And if we don't recognize we're offended, we'll end up taking up an offense. And if we take up an offense, we'll be back where we started. Turn around to someone, kind of nudge him and say, you won't go back where you started from. See? Now, and David absolutely strips himself. Now, not everyone was happy. See, I, I remember years ago when I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. My piano teacher was teaching my son and I piano lessons. And I should have known she was a little strange when 
I saw her name in the, the classified section of the newspaper, and I picked it up and called her, and she said, yes, Ms. Brown, and I said, well, my son and I want to continue piano lessons, and could you come and teach us? And she said, I'll have to pray. I thought, I I'm not asking you to be my spiritual guru. <laughs> I I'm wanting piano lessons. She said, oh, you don't understand. She said, I only take students that God speaks to me. I'm to take. I hung up the phone and I said to my husband, this woman is weird. <laughs> Couple of days passed and she called back and she said, when do you want me to come? I said, well, Tuesdays would be fine. Tuesday afternoon, is that fine? She said, yeah, I'll be there. She walked in with a big grin on her face, a beehive that you could have climbed to eternity on, a Bible under her arm, and a satchel in her hand. And she looked at me as though I was on her menu. And she walked in and put her little briefcase down and she said, I don't want to offend you. I don't know if you're a Christian, but I'm a Christian. I always pray with my students before I uh, teach them piano and I always have a scripture for them. Would you please sit down? <laughs> and I thought to myself, I'm paying for this? <laughs> and she looked at me for a few moments and she prayed over us and read her little scripture and gave us our piano lessons and months passed and one day she looked at me and she said, you know, it's just a shame. I said, what? She said, you. <laughs> now, I'm paying her to teach me. She said, there's so much in you that can never come out because you need the Holy Ghost. I'll have you know, I have the Holy Ghost. <laughs> See, the minute that you begin to, something rises up inside of you, and it ain't acting holy, <laughs> you know you may have it, but something needs to be released. <laughs> See, and I love the theme, release. What God is saying is, there's a lot overriding what really needs to be happening, release. See, we thought, oh, in God good, he wants to release. What he's saying is, more's being released in you than me. And she laid hands on me, and I'm not going to go into detail, but I rolled in the floor and jumped up and down, and four hours later, I was moving everything because before she prayed I said God you know I'm Baptist and we do everything decent and in order and God said I'll order it and it'll be decent and I did everything that I said I would not do see some of you ladies did some things last night and Friday night that you told God you would never do and God said hello and I did everything I said I would not do. Then she looked at me and said, you don't have to tell anybody about this. And I said, don't worry. <laughs> now, 
The thing that I want to close with this morning is the fact that when David sought the Lord, God was waiting for him. See, if you're anointed, can I say this? It doesn't matter how long it takes for you to have clarity. The moment you seek the Lord, He is waiting on you. God does not give you the desire to seek Him and to know Him and to get your life in order and to do it God's way without Him coming and stepping right into the situation and giving you clarity of what it is that you need to adjust. So I am grateful this morning that when I call upon the Lord, He answers me. See, you need to just declare, when I call upon the Lord, He answers me. So David sought the Lord and, and he went down to Obadiah's house with this linen ephod on. See, I believe that the next move of the church is literally what Judson Cornwall proclaimed years ago. We had little understanding what in the world he was saying, but he said, there is coming a time when the Father will be the next revelation and the priesthood begins to grab hold of the Father's heart and the spirit of reconciliation begins to be loosed inside the church and we are headed towards the Father's heart because that's what the anointing is for. And Jesus is about to get his prayer answered. See, some of us have unanswered prayers, but you don't understand how long Jesus has had to wait for his prayer to be answered. Come on. And his prayer is that we be one with the Father. And it is about to happen through the anointing. Turn around to someone and say, you fixing to just... Meet head on with God himself. See, and that's wonderful. Now stay with me. David goes down and gets this Ark of the Covenant and puts it on their shoulders and he begins to go out in front of it. See, we've got to have some anointed leaders that can get some anointed priesthood, that can get some anointed instrument players, that can get some anointed singers, that can get some anointed dancers, that can get some anointed congregation. And when this procession in the anointing of the Lord started towards Zion, everybody knew their function and everybody knew their place. There wasn't any competitiveness. There was only one desire. Let him be glorified. Let him be glorified, oh God. See, it's not where you are, it's whose you are. And that you just are where he tells you to be. See, David sought the Lord and came under the dealings of God, and God gave him order. See, aren't you glad that God doesn't uncover all of you at once. Come, come on, look at somebody and say, I know you, you should have amen that. See, aren't you glad?
Years ago, my husband decided to move to the country. Please love me, I don't like the country. I was raised on the farm with a wash tub and no running water and, and, and an outhouse and nothing in my heart says, take me back to the good old days. I like the city, I like traffic jams, I like body odors, I, I like flushing commodes, I like running water. I mean, you know, if you want the country, bless you. But I'm a city girl. And so my husband came in and he said, we are moving to the country. I said, where'd you get this we stuff? He said, well, we're moving. I said, I don't want to go. He said, well, you do have a choice. I said, thank you. What is it? Stay or come. <laughs> See, God is saying to some of us, you got to move from where you are to where I am. And we're saying, God, but where you are is unfamiliar to us. And God said, well, you do have a choice. Stay where you are or come where I am. Yes. See, and the anointing will give you that choice. So because we had six kids at that time, he informed me that the children would stay with me. <laughs> and suddenly the spirit of Ruth rose up in me. And I said, where thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. These children shall be your children. So we moved to the country. He bought five acres and he just, uh, you know, was so excited. And, and he's a city boy. So he went to Walmart and he bought him a pair of overalls. Nothing is more dangerous than a city boy in country overalls. And he got these overalls and he came in and he announced to me, we are going to have a garden. I said, where did you get this wee stuff? He said, we're having a garden. I said, listen, Adam. You toil by the sweat of your brows and I have the baby. When we deliver a kid, I will take up farming. No, 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 no. So he goes out and has a hand sickle to clear five acres that's up over his head. And he's just after just sickling this thing. And my heart just feels compassion for him. So I go in and, you know, you have to bring a peace offering if you're going to correct your husband. So I fixed him a big pitcher of lemonade. And I said, look, Adam, let's sit down and talk about this. Little blisters were on his hands. And he was sweating. I said, it's going to take you forever to do it. And by the time you get to the back of the five acres, 
you're going to be back at the front of the five acres. I said, there's a better way. I said, you can go down and it's going to cost you. I want you to hear something. It's going to cost you, but you can rent a teller. And it's automatic and you get behind this tiller and you let it pull you. See, you just hold on and you let it pull you. See, the anointing will take you in tilling ground, but you just hold on. It'll just keep pulling you where you need to go. See, it'll just pull you. But it'll cost you. And so what happened was, he said, okay. Then he came in and he had an alternate plan. He said, nah, too much money, and there's a faster way. He said, I'm going to burn this field off. I said, I don't think that's wise. I said, you're going to dig trenches around the area? No, if I'd have to do it by hand, I'm just going to set fire. <laughs> Send the fire, God. We don't have time for your trench digging. Fire! So he got his little box of matches. And I'm thinking, wisdom is going to hit him. I just know he's wiser than this. He goes out, strikes the match, throws it out there, stands back and declares, we got fire where we live. And all of a sudden, he's banging on the door. Call the fire department! Call the fire department! Call the fire department! And I picked up the phone, and thank God we lived in a small town, because I was so excited, I said, And they said, what? And I said, smoke! And they were able to look and see this smoke cloud coming up. While we're waiting on the fire department, we get blankets and we're trying to put it out. We asked for it, now we want it out, we want it out. You can't fan strange wild fire. If you fan it, it will keep going. Honey, we are clearing our land. We are clearing our neighbor's land. We are clearing the neighbor. We are clearing across the street. It jumped across it. We are purging everything. Fire department came. Dug trenches. <laughs> Said, Mr. Brown, don't ever do that again. I looked at him and I said, give this man wisdom before I kill him. And what happened was, he said, if you don't have the trenches dug properly 
and the fire comes. It has no boundaries. Therefore, a constructive fire can become a destructive fire when there isn't limitations and boundaries. Why did God put them in the upper room on the day of Pentecost and make them tarry for 120 of them tarry there for all those days that they tarried there? He was digging trenches so that when the fire fell, it would not be destructive, come on, but it would be constructive. And as they walked out with the constructiveness of the anointing on their life and the fire of God that had been imparted to their life, it literally flowed out of their life and the evidence of it was they turned a continent upside down. Stay with me. David began to bring the presence of God back to its rightful place. See, you can't bring God back to his rightful place without preparation. You can't just have celebration. You've got to have preparation. And part of the celebration is not just the result of him getting back in his rightful place. Part of the celebration is he was graceful enough to prepare you so that it wouldn't end up destroying you. Come on. And David brought that little box back. And as he brought it back, Obadiah looked out. And this is what I want to stir your heart with because I believe part of the anointing that we have heard from Sister Iverna and part of the anointing that you heard from Sister Iona and part of the anointing that you have heard from June and Olivia and other workshops that you went to, part of the anointing comes so that we can leave this place with a determination and a godly decision what we're going to do after we leave here. Not what we did while we were here, but what are we going to do after we leave here? And Obadiah saw God moving. And he had to make an incredible decision. And I want to just speak as clearly and prophetically as I can, and I do not use that word prophetically loosely. I want to, re uh, to try to communicate to you what I feel God spoke to me this morning in prayer as clearly as I can, and I believe that we are in the house of Obadiah. We are in the house as the church and we have had enough of God to produce His benefits. We have had enough of God to bless us. We have had enough of God to heal us. We have had enough of God to deliver us. We have had enough of God to prosper us. We have had enough of God to have prophecy and words of knowledge and words of wisdom. And Obadiah stood there and said, I can stay where I am and declare all the days of my life the benefits of God or I can pack up and follow the presence for another level of God. And can I say this to you, Sister Iverna has said this for years. 
And I always wondered what she meant when she said it. But I'd always nod my head. Because I didn't want anybody to know I didn't know what she said. I'd go, years ago, she began to make a statement. There is a church within the church. And every time she said that, I'd go, mm-hmm, amen. And God said, you got to understand why I'm speaking to you about the anointing is you can be a church in the blessings and the provisions and the benefits of God or you can let those things follow you and you no longer follow them but you start after the presence of God himself and let those things be added to you and follow you but that's not your focus or your purpose anymore you become the church that literally declares we are going after his presence we're going to get him in his rightful place we're going to give him the glory and the honor that's due his name and Obadiah stood there and he was looking at all that God had done for him and rightfully so and he was praising God for all his benefits and rightfully so and he could declare to the nations all oh, the goodness of God I cannot praise him enough God is good but when he saw the presence moving to another level the anointing rose up inside of him to realize that it's really not the benefits. It's really not his hand. It's his face. And he said, I'm going. I'm out of here. I'm almost out of here. He went with David. See, it's important that you know where people are taking you. You've got to hear me. It's important that you know where they're taking you. The instruments would come. I want to close with this last part. See, to become a priest, you've got to understand something. You've got to have your ear anointed with blood and oil, your thumb anointed with blood and oil, and your toe anointed with blood and oil. You've got to be willing to hear God 
affirm you, confirm you, encourage you, but correct and adjust you if that's what's necessary. And it's all the voice of God. Come on. And the blood was put before the anointing. Come on. Because if you don't let God cleanse your ear, then you can have the anointing on your ear. But if there isn't a cleansing daily of what you hear, you can get mixed signals. You've got to let God clean your hands because there's some things you can't touch. See, if you hear something and then you touch something, Beloved, listen to me. You'll walk it out. See, no man gets up and says, you know what, today I just think I'm going to commit adultery. Just think I'll put it on my agenda. No, he kept entertaining a sound. He kept reaching out for something that wasn't godly. And before you know it, whatever you hear and whatever you reach for, You'll walk it out. That's why God said, let me anoint your ear and anoint your hand. And all the days of your life, keep reaching out for me. Because if you keep reaching out and hunger for me, you'll walk this thing out. And you'll keep walking towards me until the anointing is full enough for your life. But it's abundant enough and full enough to flow out and affect other people's lives. And what happened was David would walk six steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, and then he would just turn around with all his might. And he'd walk six steps and he would turn around with all his might. See, he was a man whom the anointing had restrained him, that he had failed by trying to bring it in by the car. Now his steps were so ordered of the Lord that every time he walked it out, he turned around and said, God, is there anything that isn't right? If it is, we're stopping right here. Come on. See, questioning God is not doubt and unbelief. Questioning what he can do is, questioning who he is, is doubt and unbelief. But not questioning God about how am I walking this thing out. It is wisdom, not doubt and unbelief. And David would turn around and he'd say, the most important thing is, I can never get this to Mount Zion if I'm not doing it by your divine order. And Mikhail, who was Saul's daughter, was looking out the window as David was making a spectacle of himself. And she rebuked David and said, how could you do this? You are dancing naked before the Lord. Now that does not mean that he was a Holy Ghost streaker. That does not mean that he was nude. What she was saying is, how could you take your kingly garments off, which gave you recognition, which made the people have to bow before you, because whenever you saw the king, you had to bow low before him, and you humiliated our household by taking that off and running through the streets in a linen ephod. How could you do this? 
See, I want to say by the Spirit of the Lord, there are still some women in this conference that have stood on the inside looking out and God said, there's still time for you to come and get on the outside and look into this thing and let it absolutely liberate you and set you free. And the word of the Lord said, because Michal rebuked David all the days of her life, God put a curse on her and she was barren because you cannot serve the institution and produce life. And you cannot come against the presence of the Lord and produce life. And she was childless all the days of her life and never ever gave life to something that could carry on his name. Now if you will stand. I want to ask you, how much of the anointing will we let reside in our life? How much? And here's what I want you to see. They made preparation. They made declaration. They made celebration. And every eye was on this little box where the presence of a living God was. And they began to follow him. See, the time and the labor that Sister Iverna has put into our lives, time and labor that these workshop leaders have put into our lives, the real joy is that they know when you leave this place you have made a quality declaration over your life to follow him lord all the days of my life god have mercy on me and all the days of my life let me be known as one who followed you. God, I don't care if no one ever declares that I did a miracle or I did a sign and wonder. God, let the testimony of my life be that the church can point and say, that is a woman who is on a pursuit for God himself. And they began to celebrate. And they began to shout. And they began to dance. And they began to record how great God was. And they began to record his miracles. And they began to stop in the midst of it and say, Oh, his loving kindness and his power and his faithfulness. But every time they made that declaration, they kept moving. Do you understand? Jesus was moved by compassion. 
Every time he saw blind eyes, he had to stop and open them. But he kept moving because his purpose was far greater than opening blind eyes. Every time he saw someone hungry, he had to stop and feed them. But he kept moving because his purpose was greater than filling the stomachs of the multitude. Every time he saw the dead, he said, Come forth, Lazarus. But he kept moving because he was a man after the pursuit and the anointing of him was carrying him somewhere. Every time he looked and saw the leper, he said, be clean, be clean. But he kept walking because his pursuit was the cross because he knew without the shedding of blood, there could be no reconciliation. God wants to cause us to leave this place with the anointing and the anointed one inside of us that will stop so often and say, Great is thy benefits, O God. Thy loving kindness and thy mercy endures to all generations. Blind eyes open, uncleanliness be gone, deaf ears open, lame walk. Everywhere he went, he preached the gospel. And the gospel was this, you have been reconciled back to your father. And the trumpet sounded. Whenever the trumpet sounded, the congregation had to discern what was in the notes. Listen. Then all of a sudden the dancers came forth and the women came forth with their timbrels and they began to dance unto the Lord and great joy rose up inside of them because they knew there was an impartation to go to Zion. Why is anointing taking us to Zion? The king lives there. People are established there. Mourning is turned into laughter there. He records his name there. He absolutely judges the hypocrites there. He cleanses the sinners there. In Zion, the king declares everlasting life in Zion. And as we close and many comes to lead us, I want us to declare to God through celebration as she comes, let's go up to Zion. Hallelujah.